ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the Working Fans Podcast. It's myself, AJ Strangebrew. I'm a former professional wrestler, also a stand-up comedian, and a huge wrestling fan. We've got my co-host, Dave. He is a huge wrestling fan also. He has been watching wrestling for his whole lifetime. We've got Joe. He's going to be producing and bringing to you everything in this podcast and putting it together to make us sound better than we actually are. We're going to start off this podcast with our first segment. It is the news and headlines this week in wrestling. First one to start off, guys, we're going to talk about something big for Impact Wrestling. Axis TV has been purchased by Anthem. I think this is tremendous. I think it's a big story. It's 15 million homes that are going to give a chance for Impact to be seen compared to Pursuit. Pursuit also was not legitimately paying Impact Wrestling. They were more of a, I don't know if you're familiar with how this works, but Impact basically was giving them material and the way they were getting money from it was actually generating revenue from the commercials that Impact themselves would sell and bring to the station. Pursuit is actually a part of Anthem. So the Pursuit channel was an Anthem property. And with this deal to purchase Access TV, it's almost like they just got a better channel of theirs to put it on. Exactly. And it's actual real revenue for Impact Wrestling and Anthem compared to what was going on on Pursuit. Also, they inherited Women of Wrestling and New Japan, basically. So now you have all these shows that are of the same fan base. Um, you can put like a little maybe lineup together. So I think that's going to be powerful too for these guys. Well, it's an opportunity to really do maybe some cross promotion also. Yeah, assuming that New Japan is willing to work with. Them. Yeah, I mean, obviously New Japan has friction with them in the past due to Dixie Carter. Yeah, and due to the fact that she basically took Okada years ago. But you have Callis, and turned him into a job boy. Yeah, you got Callus in Impact now, who has a great relationship, and with that New makes Japan. a big difference because New Japan is all about relationships. If you burn New Japan like Ring of Honor has in the past or like other wrestling promotions have, they remember it. They're not ones that are going to forget about it and let it go. It's not that Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. It's It turns into a vendetta. All right. There's some stuff I want to talk about this week. Oh, also, sorry, with Impact, did you hear who's coming on and joining the who, partnership? Who's coming in? Steve Harvey. Get out of here. That's Steve Harvey. Kings yes. of Comedy? Kings of Comedy. He's... What could he possibly have to do with... I will let you know because I looked up an article because I had to I saw Steve Harvey was a part of it and I had to see why they bringing him up by name but it is that Steve Harvey he's joining as an investor and strategic partner I read Steve Harvey Global his company is going to have a seat on Anthem's board of directors Mm. he himself is entering into a strategic agreement for content development and he's promoting Anthem's portfolio of channels being Impact Wrestling Impact Plus Fight Network, Game TV, Game Plus, and Pursuit Channel. Well, on the outskirts of it, it's not something that makes sense from a wrestling standpoint, but by a a business standpoint, Steve Harvey has built his brand from the ground up, from being a stand-up comic working for $25 a night in gas money, he has built up to being one of the most successful stand-up comics of all time. Huge stand-up, huge name, that all makes sense, It, it just seems odd to have him be the person promoting this particular portfolio of channels. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's not a bad move. I just didn't see it coming, and I thought it was something of note. I can't wait to see him put the Wayne brothers leading into uh, Impact Wrestling. I think it's going to be fantastic. 
Yeah, that's not probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, some other news stories I want to tackle this week. I want to basically do a breakdown and then get your feedback. But a breakdown of NXT versus AEW and SmackDown Live moving to Friday nights as well. I want to address AEW first. One of the things that I really like as we're headed to AEW on TNT is their uh, Road 2 series, which I don't know if you had to watch any of these in the past, but they've had like the road to their pay-per-views and the free shows they're doing. And one of the things I've noticed is they're really putting an emphasis on building up the matches. Like it's already been announced that Nyla Rose versus Rio is you know for the first ever women's championship, and Cody and Sammy Guevara are gonna be in the first ever match. And on this episode of Road to TNT, which is the second episode, actually, Guevara is talking about how everybody mentions him as a top prospect, and he's got potential. And he hates potential, because that means I'm not now, and I want to be now. And then we go later on to an interview with Cody, with Tony Schiavone, and Cody is talking about his matchup, and how, you know, I can't overlook Sammy Guevara. He has a lot of potential, even though I know he hates that. And Cody is putting over the fact that, you know, if he loses, it's like the old adage, card subject to change. I'm not going to get my title shot. So they're putting, like, kind of a wrinkle into, like, the old style. It used to be, you know, like, no matter what, the way WWE booked it, you were going to have that title match. Maybe he had a losing streak going to title. AEW is almost taking it like a real sport. Like, oh, you took this match, and now if you lose, you realize you could lose your title shot. So that goes in with what AEW's been talking about, building up wins and losses. And that's one of the things I really like they're doing as they go into their first ever launch with TNT. I think there's going to be a huge curiosity factor from just hardcore fans when they go one-on-one with NXT. Is I think more people are going to tune into AEW because, hey, this is something brand new and we want to take a look at it. You know, And maybe being under that WWE umbrella with NXT might actually hurt them. On a side note... As great as AEW's been doing with all their, like, you know, attendance, selling buildings out and stuff, their pay-per-view numbers were a little lower this time, but it wasn't that low compared to Double or Nothing, so AEW's basically took the stance of blaming this on John Moxley falling out and not having the Moxley Omega match. We'll see. I still don't think we know if this audience is a TV-watching audience. A lot of this information I got, by the way, was on 411 Mania. You know, on the flip side... NXT, one thing they're going to have going for them is the TV production. You know, they're huge. You got WWE backing up uh, everything here. <laughs> and sorry, <laughs> little faux pas here. <laughs> little inside baseball. I was tapping my pen, and um, our producer literally took my pen and threw it in the other room. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, there was a story that broke that 205 Live, which I read on. Inquisitor.com is getting kind of phased out. There was an interview with Triple H where he talked about 205 Live is going to be more under the NXT umbrella. And I think this is great because it's going to give a chance to NXT kind of have something different on its show. You know, and it's going to give a chance for these 205 Live guys to actually get pushed and they're going to be in front of an audience that cares. One thing I like about this when I say that an audience that cares too is that they're going to be at full sale every week. And although in the long run I worry about them getting burned out, casual fans who tune into NXT for the first time are going to see a rabid fan base that they're not used to seeing on Raw or SmackDown. And that's going to be the same with AEW. So I think that's something great in general with the AEW-NXT rivalry we'll bring. But like AEW, NXT is already building up matches. They already talked about their first episode. They're going to have Killian Dane, Matt Riddle in a street fight. 
Velveteen Dream versus Roderick Strong for the North American title. And I think that, again, just having this, you know, I think we're building matches, it's going to mean more. Now, one last thing to touch on, too. Uh, SmackDown Live is going to be moving to Friday nights. And, you know, I read a little thing this week, too, also on The Inquisitor, that they had a list of a lot of talent that's going to be on that first episode. Hulk Hogan, Undertaker, Mark Henry, Sting, and I even announced, I think this week, was Trish Stratus is coming back to be on there. And, you know, that's great. It's going to be great for a first episode. A couple problems I see, though, is one, we talked about this a little bit off the show, Friday night is not the best time to view TV. Typically, it's a going out night for people. And that, to me, seems like, okay, this is a great chance for Fox to put something on in a week time slot. But is it going to be beneficial for WWE? That being said, I think WWE, there was some talk, I remember, about bringing in a different feel. Making this maybe more like a realistic sport. And I I hope they go in that direction because I do think that that's something they need to do. They need to make this product different if people are going to tune in. And, uh, you know, that's some of the stuff I got going on that. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about this. Well, with that NXT thing, the thing I found weird is you're going to put Matt Riddle versus Killian Dane, bruiser of a match. But it's not going to be on the USA portion of that first week. Right. I mean, it's a way to pull people to the network. That I thought was a little weird. With the 205 Live, I was reading today, and it sounds like those tapings might just move to, like, before or after SmackDown. So keep the same area that they were. Just be, I assume, with SmackDown. Oh, I see. And if you'd had that two-hour show and you had the NXT portion, the 205 Live portion, I think that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're going to keep the 205 Live show anyways, why not just put it on and not fuck up the timing of an already one-hour presentation? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think that NXT Live, though, becomes the... The prep, like that's to become the new baby. Like we got to make NXT live the top show, and I think if you add the cruiserweight belt and have a segment in there where the match is really hot, you're going to add a lot to that show because NXT is going to be you know the product now. They're going to be everything that's the emphasis on NXT. So we want to see great, exciting matches, and I think that's something the 205 Live guys can bring to NXT to make it different, similar to how Nitro back in the day on TNT had the Luchadors in the top cruiserweights. I think 205 Live could be that for NXT. And it's a great chance for some of these guys to get over. I think the WWE is doing the right thing by just making the Cruiserweights non-essential. I think it's an overrated division. They started off by doing the Cruiserweight Classic, which did get over, but it did not obviously get over to where they expected it to as a program. But they also didn't do a good job of trying to get over you put it after like a bunch of people who don't know about it, and you brought out like five or ten people at the same time. Why not introduce these guys and mingle them with the main product? Because everybody knows if you're not 6'3 and 240 pounds, you don't belong in a wrestling ring. Okay, Vince. <laughs> I don't that's think a, that's what's going on here. I think they just need to be... I was going more for sarcasm with that. To me, it's not one of those opportunities for them to actually get over... What you're doing now with guys who have gotten over, like your buddy Murphy's, mm-hmm. other Cedric, other, Alexander. Cedric Alexander, your other cruiserweights, they have taken these wrestlers and already made them secondary citizens in the WWE oh. because of their size. Okay, well, hear me out on this then. We get these guys, we put them on NXT in front of a hot live crowd. Well, you tell me what's the better way to get over. Now it's going to be the same platform, USA Network, right? And USA Network, Raw and SmackDown are going to be advertising NXT. Would you rather bring Kushida out there, somebody who would... 
you know, his background, his talent, and put him in front of a hardcore fan base that's rabid to see him on NXT, is that a better way to get him over? Or is a better way to get him over, bring him with five, six other guys that probably nobody's ever heard on SmackDown and Raw, and let's put him in a six-man tag or a battle royal? I guess what I'm saying is, is that the WWE's already screwed them over by not having them and making them a name already. NXT has characters who are names Velveteen Dream. Mm-hmm. They've got guys that are in the same size bracket, like your Jardy Garganos. Right. People of that nature who have clearly gotten over, even though they have that size bracket. But the difference is, Johnny Gagarino is not a spot monkey. He's not going out there and flipping and flying and driving through the drive-thru. I wouldn't say He's, all the 205 Live guys are spot monkeys. And they're not all, but a good portion of them are, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And they're used to not getting seen, and I don't think they're going to get seen that much in NXT. They can say they're going to blend them in there, but I think it's only a matter of time before they take these wrestlers and they go into oblivion. We'll see. We'll see. I, I have faith as long as NXT is still built the way it's built now, we're going to see more of these guys. And as for AEW, which we started off this section with, I think they're in trouble. Don't get me wrong. They're going to do well, and they're going to have their rabid fans. But I think it's a bad sign of developing fans when you come out and your numbers are already dropping on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can blame it on John Moxley and Kenny Omega not wrestling, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, it's not 1960. You don't make your money on how many people are coming into your house shows. You make money based on who's coming and who's buying the pay-per-views and who's going to watch your TV. The other issue, too, that I didn't mention, we have a $50 price tag for these pay-per-views. I think that's your mistake. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not going to put on as many, which is great. But who's they paying build? $50 for a new product? Right. I would think if you can do maybe like a, maybe two shows a year. They're too close to each other, I think, too. I think that was the issue. Well, also, who's going to pay $50 for a new product when you just gave away two free pay-per-views? Right. And then you also have a WWE giving away everything for free, uh, basically. Well, nine ninety nine a month. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, the other big thing we talked about was SmackDown. Yeah. Um, I have a problem with bringing back all those people to SmackDown. I know you want to embrace SmackDown's history, and that's delightful. But the whole point of it moving to Fox and moving to a new channel, a new time, is you're supposed to be bringing to the future. You're supposed to be driving in this new SmackDown brand. This is going to be huge. Let's make this big. Hey, you know how we should do that? Let's bring back every old wrestler who's ever been on SmackDown. Focus on them for the first show. And let's pay no attention to the new people that are actually making it happen on a weekly basis. I mean, that could work. They could bring the old guys back if the point is to get new guys over. Yeah. That's just not typically a WWE thing to do. Hell, they're not even getting over their women's champ. Bailey's the women's champion for SmackDown. They just sent down a promo on the national television featuring Becky Lynch for SmackDown. Hmm. She's your Raw champion. Well, I will say this now. <coughs> just came out announced is uh, there's going to be a draft. Uh, coming, I believe, October 11th. I just got a notification on my Bleacher Report app. Hopefully they draft Vince and send him over to freaking Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe uh, Becky will end up going to SmackDown. So, she might. Yeah. She is the man. You can't really stop her. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That might be trademarked by the time uh, this comes out. We'll have to see. <laughs> so another issue or another story that came up this week is the ongoing Killer Cross issue with Impact. And I looked up a article regarding this. And according to Cross... The issues began last year regarding merchandising. Impact, they've gotten up and down history, and it looks like that's continuing. They make the big moves like buying Access TV, 
But with this story, they're basically almost going back on more or less what they told the Hardys last year, where if you don't want to be here, you can take your gimmick, leave, we're not going to hold it over you. Earlier this year, him and his girlfriend, Scarlett Bordeaux, both asked for their release. You remember earlier in the summer, she got hers, he did not. Now, the current issue kind of popped up when he was booked to face Eddie Edwards in a first blood match at Slammiversary. He didn't feel comfortable blading. They used fake blood, and supposedly that just hurt the tension between the two sides more. He hasn't been booked with Impact since. And even coming up on tonight's AAA show, he was originally booked for it. Since Impact is partnering with AAA to put this on, he was taken off the show. Now, this doesn't affect his relationship with AAA going forward, he said. And he's just kind of in a standstill right now where they're not doing anything with him. They're not booking him, but they're also refusing to let him go. Hmm. And he had a quote where, to me, it's one of the wilder things he brought up. And he just said, the issue was I was attempting to retrieve something that was supposed to be given to me. That's the only way I can really put it right now. And he can't say what it is because of an ongoing legal case. But he also said that there was something that was supposed to be given to me and I was attempting to retrieve it for numerous months and it was really frustrating. I don't know how else to say it. I think the big question is, what exactly was he promised? Was it a push? Was it money? Personally, I thought he had a good push in Impact. Other places have marketed him much more major. In fact, he was facing Nick Gage last night at Bloodsport too. So I don't know what his future is in wrestling, but at the moment, he definitely hit a bump in the road. It's a shame too. He's a great character. It's great promos, great look. And at a time when Impact is actually going to be on Access TV, like we talked about, with New Japan and these other companies on the same channel, it's like, man, if he didn't have this issue going on, this could be a time where he's about to hit his stride, too. Yep. So. All right, so I'm going to hit this from a different angle. I'm going to hit it from the wrestler's angle. I understand where Killer Cross is coming from. I think he's a little frustrated with the point of view and the direction that his character was going in. But I think part of it also goes back to the old days. If you remember, there used to be this guy named Chris Benoit. I know we've erased him from the history books. Mm. But once upon a time, he was given the WCW World Championship going back to uh, many decades ago now. But he was given the WCW Championship. And that was a mistake by WCW because they didn't realize how unhappy Chris Benoit actually was. Sure, he didn't care about the World title. Well, part of the reason why was because of the turmoil with his wife, Mm. Nancy Benoit... And her ex-husband, Kevin Sullivan, who's doing the booking in WCW. And when you have an unhappy woman in the circumstances, a lot of times people will take their ball and go home. This isn't the first time this has happened. This has actually happened with Jerry Lawler and the cat. This has happened with Steve Austin and Deborah McMichael. Mm -hmm. This has happened with many different people down the line. When you mix personal relationships with business, this ends up happening in wrestling. Hmm. I am not a fan of people being in the same organization as their girlfriends and wives. Look how happy Adam Cole right now is Hmm. with Britt Baker because (laughs) one's in AEW and one's in NXT. There's no, oh, they're not treating my girlfriend right. They're not treating my husband right. Look at AJ Lee. AJ Lee was in the middle of a huge push. Mm. But then because of what happened with CM Punk in the WWE, 
all of a sudden she doesn't want to wrestle anymore. And we haven't seen her since. Yeah. So this is a lifelong fan of wrestling that said, I'm going to go and follow my man. Mm-hmm. That's uh, even Brandy Rhodes and Cody. And I know it's different. Brandy, you know, was looking to leave first. I know the actual real story where it looks like she was following him. But how much of it was actually Cody following her, knowing that she was planning on leaving, that made it easier for him to go in. I think there might be a lot of stuff with the Cody situation, but you have enough evidence there to support what you're saying. Yeah, and I'm not saying yeah. that Cody didn't have other reasons for it. Yeah. I'm saying that when you see, okay, my wife's already leaving and I'm getting shit on, mm-hmm. why would I stay here? Could have helped. Sidebar with the Cody thing. Uh, I know he did say in some interviews that Dusty had actually mentioned to Cody before, like, maybe you should just get out of here if we're not going to give you the pushes. But I, but I think the final decision came down to the fact, well... My wife's not going to be here. Why it would did I? hurt, I'm sure. That's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. not saying it was the only decision like the other ones, but when it comes to the Killer Cross situation, I know Scarlett Bordeaux was really unhappy. So yeah. if you've made somebody's girlfriend or fiance or whatever they are feel that unhappy, and now you've messed with what they feel like is their contractual agreement, it doesn't help the situation. And I think that that's part of what's going on with Killer Cross. Hmm. And it's unfortunate because he's extremely talented. Speaking of people doing really strange things for no apparent reason, this week we were celebrating with WrestlePro Pat Buck's last night before going to become a WWE producer. And it was supposed to be a huge celebration. You had SCU on the card. You got Joey Janela on the card. You've got um, Dan Koff on the card. And it was supposed to be just a great celebration of wrestling for the weekend. And what ended up happening was Big Cass comes to there and is backstage at the event. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, first is starting to accuse Joey Janela of messing around and wasn't happy with a spot that him and Janela had gone through months ago. Then he starts claiming that people stole his sweatshirt, that some of his gears missing. He slapped at one point Joey Janela and was basically telling him, hey, I want to fight. Mm-hmm. Did Joey and, beat the show? Well, we're going to go into that <laughs> in a second. Joey did not. Joey was a professional and did the right thing. I'm sure that's what happened. Well, actually, Joey was um, quoted on Twitter today as saying that he doesn't have a lot to say about what happened in the locker room last night. But he's been doing this for 15 years and it's the strangest thing he's ever seen in a locker room. Hmm. Kind of wonder if. Big Cass was a little fucked up. Uh, it seems like it since he was in a bit of a haze to a point where another person who's very professional, Dan Koff, he ends up at one point telling the people at Wrestling Pro, if you don't take care of this and do something with him, I'm going to do something about it. This is somebody who's known for being very professional, very even-tempered in the locker room. So the fact that he was willing to take care of it is a whole other thing. At that point, they took Cass and they put him in a separate locker room with SCU and with Pat Buck. Right. So Pat Buck, as you know, is one of the people who owns WrestlePro. He, at that point, has Big Cass getting in his face on his last night in his own promotion, telling him, oh, you stole my sweatshirt. What did you do with my stuff? At that point, Pat Buck's had enough. So Pat Buck actually punches him, wrestles him down to the ground, and Big Cass is responding and looks shocked and is like, why is he hitting me? What's going on here? And almost like snaps out of the aggressive side that he was all night long and legitimately seems to have no idea why he's being wrestled to the ground and hit by Pat Buck. Hmm. 
Like he came out of this aggressive haze and now, and that's not where it stops. I mean, it stops at that point because they throw him out of the building. But he's walking around the parking lot. The police are called. Yeah. At one point, they have fans that are taking photos of Big Cass sitting out there by one of the street signs with the police holding him there. And he ends up having to go to the hospital and ends up being put in the hospital for the night to take care of whatever's going on. I thought that DDP yoga was really going to help him out, too. Yeah, so did I. Now, I got to tell you, <laughs> being a former wrestler, I've been in the locker room many times. And I've seen a lot of strange behavior. Uh, we can go back years ago to where um, there used to be a wrestler in the New England area named Party Time Juan King. Mm, one and, of the greats. Yeah, one of the all-time greats. I was in... Uh, all of fame. Yeah, I was at the Whaling City Festival with him, and we're wrestling about a royal. And beforehand, he's allegedly chugging Crown Royal. And mm. I say allegedly, even though I saw him chugging the Crown Royal. <laughs> um... And by the time we got to the ring at the end of the show, he could barely communicate in the ring to a point where he was supposed to get blood. And so he's got the color already and I'm punching him in the where the mark is and he's bleeding everywhere and he keeps looking at me going, no, 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 make me bleed more, make me bleed more. We gotta sell this, we gotta sell this. And I keep hitting him in the forehead and it's to a point now where he's looking like Abdul the Butcher. And at that point, I tapped him because I knew it was my time to get out of the ring. I tapped him and said, hey, um, time for me to go out. And I received one of my few injuries in wrestling at that event because when he threw me over the top, he was not careful on how he threw me over the top. And one leg went one way and one leg went the other way. (laughs) And I strained all the ligaments in my right knee at that point because he was incoherent and unable to really protect other wrestlers at that point. So to see that kind of unprofessionalism once again, I hope for Cass's sake that he's going to get help. But something needs to be done with this guy before somebody becomes seriously hurt. This is a seven-footer, guys. Yeah. That's a big dude. Hate to see him in there and uh, definitely hurt somebody. I don't know. The cast to me, like, I'm surprised that, you know, we're seeing, I guess, well, you know what, you're seven foot tall. Rotors are going to want to book you, right? Is that the problem? Him and Enzo keep getting booked. Yeah, that's what surprises me. Like, I'm just surprised that, you know. And they show up at places where they're not booked. <laughs> they're really hoping to live off that WWE name. And that's what happens when you go from the big times to the indies. You get booked based on that name. You're a draw because of that name doesn't always mean you contribute quality or that you're even safe for the situation. I'm starting to see the Jake the Snake Roberts syndrome in these guys where they're going to make a name for the next 15 years and Lord knows if they're going to get help and who's going to get injured, what's going to happen. All I know is at this point I'm starting to wonder if he's mentally S-A-W-F-T. Soft? I think that's a perfect way to end this. We cover the the headlines on this show, but there's some news stories that are noteworthy but not necessarily huge. So these are under-the-radar news topics. Starting off with... AJ, you brought one to our attention that's quite Uh, noteworthy. RevPro over in England had a very interesting... Show that's not WrestlePro? (laughs) That's definitely... No, it's definitely RevPro. But this is one of those instances where you had wrestlers taking things a little too seriously. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the winner of the match was going to go to the Royal Quest New Japan show the next day. 
Not saying that excuses anything. I understand where you're coming from there, but in this instance, the two wrestlers that were supposed to win the match and go over, one of them got his shoulder up and the ref counted three anyways. Mm. It was actually, I believe, Samuel's shoulder who was down and he kicked out and when his shoulder came up, the ref still hit three and announced um, the other tag team as the winners of the match giving the loss to Bottom and Samuels. And you're right, they were supposed to go to Japan the next day. This is something you could have worked out, a gimmick where you could have actually worked it out. Just the Japanese Just show. Just the Japanese in, show, England sorry. The my next bad. Day. Yeah, they weren't actually flying to Japan the next day. My, But it's one of those... They might have been happy not to have to get on the <laughs> that plane. That would have been like, exhausting. But it's one of those instances where you could have done something later in the show or you could have had somebody come out quickly... And there, there, there's 50 different things that you could have done. But once they actually start just beating the living hell out of the referee, at that point it's hard to correct So after the, the screw-up, what happened? So Samuels picks up the ref like he's going to body slam him. Which is okay, because at that point, that's something that I can understand. Yeah, People you're finding a way state. trying to sell it's it. It's looking like you're selling it and angry. And that's fine. I can understand that. That's great. So it got worse than the body slam. Well, the problem also with the body slam is, is he didn't communicate to the ref that he was going to body slam him. So he scoops up the ref, slams the ref for real, instead of a working body slam. And then they take him out of the ring and start putting the boots to him. Mm. And I don't mean just gently putting the boots to him like, hey, we're working with this guy. I mean, they're literally kicking him like he's a dog in the street. Uh, we don't kick a lot of dogs in the street where I'm from, but I will say this. He's from Korea, folks. Don't to, let him fool you. To quote Ted DiBiase Jr., that ref was trying to fuck on him. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. That is a great quote, sir. Uh, why don't we go to our next Under the Radar segment, because I'm excited. I almost jumped the gun two segments ago. Beyond Wrestling, Uncharted Territory. This is going to be the second season of Uncharted Territory. Now, Beyond Wrestling... For those who don't know, they have a YouTube channel. And they have 1.72 million followers. So it's uh, quite impressive. I think only the WWE has more followers in terms of a wrestling promotion. They got a lot of people over last year with this uh, gimmick they have on ter- territory. They Discovery went, Gauntlet. Discovery Gauntlet, thank you. And uh, Thomas Santel, who used to be part of the Heartbreakers in WWE, is doing this 1950s gimmick. He comes out to the song Earth Angel. He's kind of a nerd. And the fans love it. He tosses out Ovaltine. (laughs) And people start chanting Ovaltine and Ovaltine Dream. So Um, you're not aware of Uncharted Territory, are you? I have never seen an episode of Uncharted Territory. I am going to look it up. And I do plan on going to the next show, actually, which is going to be in Westerly, Rhode Island. So the way that the Discovery Gauntlet works is it started off with two unknowns. Yep. They wrestle. The winner goes on next week, and another up-and-comer unknown wrestles them. So this is their way of getting people over. Thomas right. Santel being the biggest person they got over. Sure. And it's on independent wrestling TV too, by the way, which is an app. And I was able to put it on my Roku TV. So is this something that WWE stole with their NXT when they were actually doing the tournament to all of a sudden break their breakout star tournament? They might have been trying to fuck on them. Maybe. I saw it more of a way as they had all these people coming in that were so good off the bat. Let's get them right to TV. You no, don't it, need to give Trevor Lee much uh, notice. Swerve Strickland doesn't need much. Right. DJ Z. DJ Z, exactly. ACH. ACH. Uh, 
No, no, and it sounds plausible the way you're doing it. I just believe the WWE is evil. So <laughs> I could see them very easily uh, stealing this idea from beyond and going, oh, I bet nobody's seen this, even though they have the one over a million followers. It almost makes you wonder if it's a work. Yes. <laughs> Everything's a work. A little foreshadowing. But uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up for the weekend in our Under the Radar news was the amount of big events that have happened just this weekend. I've already brought up Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 2. There was AAA going to MSG, being downgraded to the Hulu Theater. And also Victory Road was something that Impact was praising that they're providing for their audience on their app. One of the matches being Stefan Bonner versus Moose. Mm. I only find that big because that's going into Bound for Glory, where it's going to be Ken Shamrock returning versus Moose. I think the overall theme of a lot of these events was the amount of MMA influence meeting with pro wrestling. Bloodsport does it like nobody else. I'm going to watch the event tonight. But they present an awesome show. I can't say enough good about it. But it's been a very busy weekend in wrestling. Did you guys have any thoughts on these shows? Uh, well, so we still got stuff to come this weekend, too. Yeah, I was going to comment real quick on that uh, Bloodsport uh, thing you were saying. They do do a really good job with the MMA pro wrestling aspect of it. But we do have to understand, I mean, they only do a, a couple shows a year, which is great. So they haven't can, done many. And I right. think that's what keeps them fresh. Absolutely. And you got Josh Barnett putting it together. Who's an MMA guy and a pro wrestler guy? Yeah, so but, you couldn't put a better guy. Before it was Josh Barnett, it was Matt Riddle. Right. Now wait a minute. In and, fairness, Ken Shamrock is the original pro wrestler MMA. People mistake Shamrock all the time and think he did MMA first. Shamrock was a pro wrestler before he was an MMA star. Huh. So he actually went from pro wrestling to MMA and then back to um, pro wrestling and then to the MMA again. Uh, and so then back to pro wrestling. Yeah, he's yeah. The, he's the OG. He's the original gangster. Oh, with Dan Sever. He would yeah. be the next person to have on the next blood sport, I would argue. And to me, that's something that Impact oh, has wow. done right in this. Is Impact has done a great job by having the Moose versus Stefan Bonner match first to show Moose against a guy who is successful in MMA before going up against the large name of Ken Shamrock. Any other weekend events going on? But, but, but wait a minute. With the blood sport, I just want to bring up one more thing. And this is just real quick. Those of you who are fans of Santino Morella, yeah, he is actually on the blood sport card as his real name. If you're looking to see a solid wrestler other than the gimmick funny person that he was, that person is Santino Morella. You're going to see a totally different side to him. So, now that we're done with our Under the Radar, another thing we do is this week in history, we don't have a card to review. We found, I would say, what, five stories or five little news tidbits that are actually huge that it's crazy that they happened this week. Any one of these doesn't happen, and quite frankly, it can change wrestling history. Yes. Uh, so if up? you guys want to go back and forth, kind of... No, I'm going to let Dave start event. off with the first one here, because right. I know he was a huge fan of these two people. Yes, it was September 17th, 1986. Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon got together for the first time as a commentary team. Legendary team. Grew up on these guys. Primetime wrestling. Wrestling challenge. Now, wrestling challenge, by the way, for anyone listening who might be a little younger, they were on syndication TV... And it used to be wrestling challenge. You get one hour, a lot of enhancement matches, 
and maybe you're lucky if you get one main event match at the end. And there's a few interview segments, and it was like that was there's WWE SmackDown, which had Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon, superstars. Yes, super. What did I say, SmackDown? You said SmackDown. Fuck all that noise. <laughs> all right. So WWE superstars with Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon, and then we had Wrestle and Challenge with Bobby Heenan and Gorilla, which was funny because for me in my area. We didn't get wrestling challenge all the time unless it was like late at night on a Saturday. And I had to stay up late to watch it. And I always did because like that was my favorite team. It was like to me, it was like something drew me in with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan early. And then on primetime wrestling, just the comedy chemistry those two had, amazing. Loved them both. Uh, I think you were a big fan of them as well. I, don't know. I thought they were fantastic. And you talk about two people living the gimmick. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby, to the day that Gorilla died, I think most people thought that they hated each other. And they were actually best friends and traveled together, played cards together, and I don't think anything ever broke Bobby's heart as much as when Gorilla died. So that was September 17th, 1986, was the first pairing of Bobby Heenan and Gorilla on Wrestling Challenge, yes. correct? The next story might change the landscape of wrestling as we know it today if this doesn't happen. Because without this happening, does WWE survive the Monday Night Wars? Mm. It is Eric Bischoff firing Steve Austin via FedEx on 9-15-1995. I mean, this has got to be one of the biggest errors in all of wrestling history. I mean, I know that even if he didn't see what Steve Austin could be, those of us who were fans of wrestling at the time knew WCW had something in Steve oh, Austin. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, to me, it was like, this guy... I didn't see the Steve Austin that was going to come. I don't know who really did. Because he was always built as stunning Steve Austin. This cocky heel, almost flair-like. You know? And he was really good. He was really good at that. So I definitely didn't see this beer-drinking, blue-collar ass-kicker that would come. But that Steve Austin... Should have been good enough, I think, at that time to challenge eventually Hulk Hogan, who was your new babyface. But in fairness to WCW, their whole time with Steve Austin was a comedy of errors. Mm-hmm. First, they bury him inside the Dangerous Alliance, where you have Rick Root as the leader. He's buried there, so you're not really seeing much of all. I mean, at that point, he was still growing, though, I think. He was, but that's just the beginning of the errors. All right. Then you put them with Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes. Mm. And this tag team is getting over. They have a great feud with the Horsemen. The crowd is going crazy. That motion picture thing that they do with the camera, they're killing it. And what does WCW do with them? Now let's break the team up and do nothing with either one of them. It's absolutely insane, the comedy of errors. And then just to let him go when he's injured. Yeah, he seemed to really, if I recall correctly, flounder once... Hogan and Savage both came in. Like, he just got lost. They started pushing people like Earthquake and the Big Boss Man under their new gimmick names. Well, he also hold- brought back Kamal. It was, whole, it was just a mess because he had such a good run. Actually, even when you say the uh, Dangerous Alliance is one of the things, I'm like, thinking like, oh, that was a really good era, though. Like, I really love that group. And I, yeah, all that stuff was good. But Austin ends up holding it against Hogan for years. When Hogan comes back to the WWE, Later in the early 2000s, Austin doesn't even want to sit down in a room to even talk to him about doing a match because he remembers it as Hogan holding him down. I think there was something where Hogan spoke out of school, too, though, and tried to work a program without talking to Austin about it later on. Well, he did. That's the, yeah. But he tried to do that after Austin already is remembering him mm. as holding him down. So now you're coming into the Federation 
where, I'm sorry, you can't call it a federation. We'll get in trouble for that. But he comes into the WWE and he said, basically tries to create a program with Austin without talking to Austin first when Austin's already remembering him as the guy who held him down. Mm. How disrespectful can that be? And I think it's interesting that these two tag team partners that ended up kind of, they both left WCW, but both Austin and Pillman made a brief stopover in ECW. And what they built there took to WWE and arguably just got on that rocket ship and and went near the top. And you have to give credit to Paulie. Paulie, no matter what you think of him, he had the sense in ECW to let people do things that would seem crazy anywhere else. I saw Brian Pillman wrestle a pencil, yeah, and I saw Steve Austin do the best Hulk Hogan promo I've ever seen. Well, a sidebar, you know, you bring up Pillman. Would it had not been for his tragic death? I mean, Pillman was he basically on trajectory to be like the next Rowdy Piper? Like, I feel like he was just I don't ahead of his time. I don't know how much he could have ever done with the injuries that he had. Yeah, he had that ankle that was absolutely crushed. In that car accident, and he was not the wrestler he was. He wasn't, but boy, but he was still putting up. He was so good. Well, people forget he was in that program with Dustin Rhodes when he passed away. Yeah, with Marlena, where he won the services of Marlena, so he was still putting out good stuff. And speak speak of Steve Austin, that program that they did, where people thought Steve Austin was going to get shot by Brian Pillman. Right. That still to this day is one of the top programs in WWE history and in that Attitude Era. Dave, next date. Next day, we caught those pretty interesting. Again, what a big week in history. Ric Flair won his first NWA world title in Kansas City from Dusty Rhodes, September 17th, 1981. I mean, goddamn, it's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Woo! Kids stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying son of a bitch. He's the best of all time. See, No uh, arguments. Yeah, nobody's going to argue um, Flair being the best here with you. What I will ask you is, is Dusty Rhodes the best transitional champion of all time when it comes to heavyweight champions? All three of his reigns, if you put them together, add up to what? About less Uh, than a month. Yeah. But look at the people he transitioned the belt to. Twice to Flair and once to Harley Race. That'd be fair. I mean, that's a pretty, those are, that's pretty good transitions from one to the other. That's a... That's pretty good. And this is also notable because Flair was a Dusty fan coming up. Right. Originally wanted to be known as Ramblin' Ricky Rhodes. Yeah. And to win his first title from somebody that he admires, and that this would set him off on a huge string of title victories, something he's known for. Yeah. Huge first step. Well, this reign also gave Flair a chance to get a taste of what it was like to be that traveling champion. He is not polished yet. He's not the person who we see in his reign in 83. But this gives him a taste of it. And it also tells him what he needs to do to get ready to be a successful champion in the future. He's the first person to admit that he was not ready for this reign. Right. But this is the reign that got him ready for the future. Now, speaking of that, somebody who I think if you asked her would say she was more than ready for the reign. (laughs) So Fabulous Moolah beat Judy Grable for the first NWA championship September 18th, 1956. And that was the beginning of a 28-year reign. And that's unreal by modern standards because you hear about these old Bruno held the title for so long, Mula held the title for so long. This is the first one. She holds it 
wins it, holds it for a long time. She holds it till 1986 when she loses it to Wendy Richter. It eclipses everything. There's not <laughs> another title reign like this There's ever. There's no other title yeah. reign. To be fair, she probably wasn't developing any ladies to beat her by that time no, because... No. Wait a minute. In fairness, from what I've heard, she's developed more women, allegedly, for purposes in wrestling than anybody I've ever seen. Well, yeah, if you go back to that Dark Side of the Ring special, you hear a lot about the women's revolution. You know that Moolah started it. She did start a group of ladies. She was the one place where you could, or one of the only places where you could get lady wrestlers. This is big, but it's also maybe the start of a dark history. Well, it is. People, allegedly, women's wrestlers for basically 30 years were absolutely terrified to cross Moolah. And I'm not saying that it's 100% accurate or whatever, but I can tell you that even working in the early 90s to late 90s that I did, Moolah still had a connection with a lot of the wrestlers. One of the women I worked down with in the Northeast was Brandy Alexander, and I can tell you that she was under the impression that she still couldn't go anywhere if Moolah didn't approve of her. Huh. And this is, you're talking about 1996, 1997, so that's a pretty impressive thing. And that's not and unlike scary. people working for Vince where they have, like when they get a new deal, they cut him in on it. Well, and I think that this is where she doesn't get a fair deal because all promoters did this. Yeah. Whether it was Vince Sr. wanting um, royalties from wrestlers doing movies and stuff of that nature to same thing with the AWA and Vern Gagne. Vern Gagne felt that anybody who went anywhere... Hulk Hogan had t-shirts printed, paid for them himself, sold them himself. Vern Gagne wanted royalties and sold those t-shirts like they were his own when Hogan was in the AWA because he felt that he's the one who put Hogan over. So why would he not get money off that? So do you think that Moolah's only, not only, but getting looked at in a bad light just because we have the Me Too movement? I think it's actually, that's part of it. But part of it is also because she is a woman. So people look at it and analyze it differently than they did. The other thing that they did was they made it sound like she was actually prostituting the women. And I think that that is the worst part of the aspect, if that's true. We don't know that's true. There's all kinds of women who worked with Moolah who have come out and stood up for her and said, this is not actually accurate, there's no actual proof to this. I mean, even if you watch that documentary, somebody that was against her... Yeah. Or yeah. was arguing against her still. She kind of almost brought it back at the end. And I don't know if that's because if you call Moolah a pimp, what does that make the one that was the product? Exactly. You know, maybe somebody doesn't want to say that. It's tough because a lot of this happened so long ago. And in some cases, only one side of the story is available. Yeah. Not saying that side of the story isn't true, but it's one opinion, and as it is in life, the truth kind of tends to be somewhere in the middle between one person's account and another person's account. Well, in a much more serious day in history, on 9-20-85, Freddie Blassie actually wrestled his last professional wrestling match at the age of 67. He went up against another season to pro and I think maybe the original luchador he went up against Louis Albano at 52 years old and they put on what I would imagine would be a catch as catch can clinic for 1986 I think he wrestled under Super Mario actually yes well now you're just being racist against Italians (laughs) see I don't know if it's crazy that these two were so old when they wrestled this final match but they did it inside of the cage on top of that 
Yeah. And that is insane. I mean, In fairness, for two guys over 50. Yeah, uh, yeah. For one guy. Well, I think we have to be fair for Albano. He's younger than Chris Jericho. True. <laughs> but I mean, who who's going to take a senior citizen inside a cage and show yeah. him what's up? Even if that senior citizen is a wrestler and for his time, one of what? The most aggressive? The most vicious? I was going to say, it, to be honest with you, it's one of the most fitting ways for Freddie Blassie to actually go out. He was known as the vampire. A lot of people don't realize that he made people bleed and he sharpened his teeth yeah. and he carved up people's skulls and the classy guy that you saw at the end of his career with the cane and the fashion plate, that is not who he was during his wrestling career. He was known for being just as bloody as the Sheik in Detroit, just as bloody as Abdul the Butcher, and he was a monster. And he was huge in Japan, yeah. even Although outside of the ring. people still terrified of him in Japan. Yeah. If you go to old timers and talk to them about Freddie Blassie in Japan, they are absolutely terrified of this man. That's, they act like you're dropping a bomb on him. And that's a, that's a very... <laughs> I think you dropped the bomb on this segment. There's no coming back. Not like Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Five three one, baby. Hiroshima. Guys, it's time for five three one. This is going to be your favorite segment. It's a segment that was developed by our producer Joe, and it is absolutely incredible. So please, Joe, tell them more about five three one. So the five three one segment is the three of us. We bring our top five lists on a certain subject. We bring it together, talk about it. Then from there, we'll whittle it down. The names that are most common move on to the three. If it's not names in common, it's just whoever we agree from our list deserves to move to that. Then from the three, we further debate and come up with a top whatever that week's segment is. Then we put it out to the universe, the people listening out there, and you guys tell us where we went wrong, who we forgot on the list, how you guys would have done something differently. This week, it's the top five factions. And I'm gonna start off first. I have a varied mix on here. I've got the Four Horsemen are my top faction. I put the New Heart Foundation just below them. I've got the Beatdown Clan from Impact three years ago now, next. If you're not familiar with the Beatdown Clan, that's Lashley, Samoa Joe, MVP, Loki. I might be leaving somebody out, Right after that, I've got the Undisputed Era. Nice modern group. And I finished out my top five with the Dangerous Alliance. After the earlier shitting on them, that seems like an odd choice. Dave, who's on your top five list? All right, my top five list. Number one was the NWO. I thought the most influential group in pro wrestling ever. had Scott Hall, a former world champion. I'm sorry, Kevin Nash, a former world champion. With Scott Hall... Both of influence coming from the WWF at the time to WCW. Then joined with Hulk Hogan. And they turned the Monday Night Wars around, essentially, consistently. Like It was a long time before WWE came back. Then I had DX on there, because there's multiple incarnations with DX. Shawn Michaels and Triple H were basically keeping you know WWE afloat with their DX character a lot. But then when Shawn left, amazingly, this great thing happened. Triple H got even bigger. So I had them as my number two. The Four Horsemen were my number three. They're the originals. They're the best. If you're looking for a specific incarnation of the Horsemen, I would have picked the one with Barry Windham, Iron Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Ric Flair. After that, I had the Bullet Club. Because to me, the Bullet Club, at number four, they span several different companies with New Japan and Ring of Honor. And they've been going on for quite a long time, actually. And then number five, I had Evolution. It helped launch the careers of Batista and Randy Orton. 
all who became world champions. And you also had Ric Flair part of that and Triple H. It's a good list. Guys, I got the Horseman as number one. I feel the same way that you do about him. Mm. To me, it's Barry, it's Tully, it's Iron, and Ric Flair. Yeah. With J.J. Dillon, obviously, as the manager. I don't think that there's... Um, I don't think J.J. Dillon gets enough credit what he did as a manager for the Horseman. Mm. I think that he did a great job of actually coming out there and being the mouthpiece for him when you had all those people who could already talk. Another one that I have is Aces and Eights. And Impact Wrestling. I think Aces and Eights actually was a good group when it started off. I think that Mm. obviously it didn't maintain and go the way that it necessarily was supposed to go. But the idea itself of Aces and Eights I thought was fantastic. Um, Devastation Incorporated. Texas Wrestling. In a time period where Texas Wrestling was red hot, Devastation Incorporated with Skandar Akbar was absolutely huge. I went a little more to that one too, not to get on your list but they were actually big in Mid-South too yeah and so. and they spanned multiple territories in that time period yeah. where they would go through and they would attack the heroes and they had so many people that once again similar to NWO they had a rotating door of people who mm-hmm. would actually come through there I'm smiling now because I'm looking I can see there was next on your list and so, I know where you're going to go with that I actually got to ask as familiar as I am with wrestling, who's in Devastation Incorporated? So Devastation Incorporated had everybody from King Kong Bundy when he had hair. Yeah, one man to gang. To Kamala, to the one man gang, to believe it or not, Dingo Warrior was in it at one point. Was Kabuki in there? Kabuki was in there. And they rotated people through. Right. They had, oh my God, why am I going blank on them? Because Gary Hart was big with Kabuki. He, he did. But I also want to but say they tied, Akbar. But they tied in together. Yeah. Akbar and all of them worked together. And that's what made Devastation Incorporated so tough. The other one that they had was the Zambui Express, which were two giant men who were both over 400 pounds and were actually used as a tag team in that time period, were also part of Devastation Incorporated. I know why Dave's eyes are popping. Yeah, because he knows where I'm going with um, my next one. Um, My next one on my list is the Legion of Doom. And those of you who are a little bit younger are going, wait a minute, Hawk and Animal, they can't be a faction. There's only two people there. They are not the original Legion of Doom. The original Legion of Doom is actually the Road Warriors with Jake the Snake Roberts, King Kong Bundy, and Paul Ellering. That's the original Legion of Doom. And what they did in Georgia Championship Wrestling, the AWA, think about this. You have Hawk and Animal with King Kong Bundy and Jake the Snake Roberts. So Jake the Snake Roberts is your best wrestler of the group. King Kong Bundy is just this giant of a man. And then you have the Road Warriors. Yeah, all about to hit their big runs. They're all just starting off there, too. Talk about a faction that, if they had kept together, could have went anywhere and actually been a destruction for anybody they faced. Can you imagine that if King Kong Bundy had come to the WWE and had wrestled Hogan for WrestleMania 2, and instead of just him and Bobby Heenan, if it had been him with the Road Warriors in his corner and Jake the Snake Roberts on the mic... Road Warriors is heel in WWF at the time. It would have been very interesting. I think it would have been a fascinating time period. Um, I agreed with you on another one, Evolution. I think Evolution, what they did by having Ric Flair rotate into the advisor spot, yeah. having him almost in a J.J. Dillon role, but obviously could still able work. to still work. By the way, J.J. Dillon could work. He was a very good wrestler. 
in his time period. I think Evolution doesn't get the credit it deserves on time because they became somewhat known as like a four horsemen ripoff. And I think it's because of having Flair. Having Flair, right. That's what hurt them a little bit. If you didn't have Flair in there and you had slid in a different championship wrestler or another veteran in there, I think they'd get even more credit. But Are they almost like the new horsemen without calling them that? It's like so horsemen influenced. And I think it that's is. what they get. Flair taking the elder statesman but, but I'll be honest with you. To me, Evolution much more dangerous than the horsemen. Hmm. Because you can look at them, and I know Iron was and Tully, and they would beat people up and do whatever. Nobody in the Horsemen, unless you're talking about like the Sid incarnation, or maybe was Luger. Batista. Yeah. Or Luger. Yeah. That's the, you've got Triple H, who could wrestle flair style matches mm-hmm. and is on par for that flair position, even though obviously to us he'll never be Ric Flair. There's a whole generation that looks at Triple H in that great spot. Yeah, at the end of the day, too, even though he might not be... And Randy might look Orton. Fond- yeah, see, that's the thing. Randy Orton <laughs> got kind of stale throughout his career. And maybe not everybody looks at Randy Orton as fondly. But Randy Orton, you can't deny, is a big-time wrestler for the era. 13 world titles and one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And Batista went the on. Youngest out. world champion, I believe. Youngest yeah. world champion. Yeah, beat that Chris Benoit guy. Yeah, well, the original youngest world champion was uh, everybody's favorite from Georgia, Tommy Rich. Uh, someone said something about five old. up. Yeah. Somebody said something about the top three but since now we've gone over. We gotta dwindle five. this down. Oh my goodness. Horseman was universally guaranteed, so that gets the automatic bid. I think Evolution I think on. Evolution's the only other one on multiple lists. Evolution was on both. And I was gonna say the way you sold me on Evolution, we gotta go Horseman, Evolution. And what does that leave us for the third? Well, this is where it's going to get tough. We don't have a universally agree. No, we don't. But we do have to take a vote here and do this dem- democratically. Well, so uh, I would say the NWO from Dave's list because you had NWO, you had DX. You can't if it's got to be NWO or DX. NWO was the original. And to me, it. NWO is the game changer. So I, yeah. I think we have to. You wouldn't have been game. able to choose Bullet Club without NWO. Right. Bullet Club wouldn't be without. Yeah, exactly. Bullet Club uses the fucking NWO signal. Agree. Bullet Club <laughs> is crazy because that is taking the old school Japanese wrestling when it started of having the Gaijin, the evil Gaijin, mm. and then that's how Bullet Club began. Now they've morphed and changed to where it's not necessarily what it was. But in fairness, that's what the NWO did too. Exactly. And I say you got to pick NWO. Yeah. And looking at, well, shit, that gives us everything, right? Yeah. yeah, that gives us three of them. I wanted to put Devastation Incorporated on there, not being aware of them, but the way that AJ sold it, they're going to have to get the honorable mention, but we don't fuck with honorable we don't mentions do honorable here. Mention. We're in the top three, Sorry, so we're Gary. looking but, at... But I can tell you, in me and Dave's childhood, Devil, Devastation Incorporated was... And they were before the Horsemen. Devastation Incorporated started in like 1983. That's a, I think a lot of the groups... Like, I was aware that LOD was bigger... I didn't realize they were necessarily that powerhouse because I did catch them. Well, near they're the also end. shorter. The other ones that we talked about are longer incarnations of a faction. But Devastation Incorporated lasted longer. Horsemen lasted longer. Right. The LOD lasted maybe about a year. You know what's funny? I had uh, NWO as number one on my list, but I believe we're down to our three. Right before we're down to our three. So we got NWO, Horsemen, Evolution. So I had NWO as my number one on my list. But as we're talking about this, longevity, you mentioned that. 
And I'm thinking like, hmm, NWO wasn't around as long as the Horseman was. Now, you can pick holes in the Horseman. Oh, eventually we got the Paul Roma. But goddamn, I know what the NWO got to. That's my point. They got watered down as fuck. Wolfpack, NWA, Japan. LWO. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. I mean, by that logic, by longevity, give it to the BWO. Right. Yeah. And I mean, longevity doesn't always equal success because, like you said, the NWO had time to go off the rails there near the end. So, my top three now, personally, would be Horseman, NWO, and Evolution because I don't think you can say Evolution. Well, I think that's what we all impact. voted to, yeah. That's, yeah, so we're down the to the Horseman, Evolution, and NWO. Yeah. Right. No, but that's my personal number one. I'm saying Horseman are my number one. What's your, you know, what are we thinking here? Well, well, let's. Uh, so you're giving, you're just going right to the Horseman. You're saying I'm saying to the top, right? That's an easy top. That for me, yeah. I would even say. Well, I, who's I, the first one we drop off? The first one we drop off here, yeah. In my opinion, Evolution. They Ooh. don't have the same impact as NWO, oh. and their longevity isn't so long where I feel like they can stay. I'm gonna debate this one. That's fine. And then we'll let Joe be the voice of reason. Sure. I'm going to debate this one. NWO gets watered down quicker. Do they? I, I think they get watered down quicker. I think that as effective as they are and the big story that they are for the first year, I think they're also what causes problems in WCW. Oh, I agree with because that. Because of what they actually do, they make such a weak locker room that as a faction, they actually damage WCW. Agreed. And, and, but how big are they? That they were actually the thing oh, that still built see- the company and broke the goddamn company, essentially, you can argue with. Oh, so in terms of history, evolution just on the end of the day doesn't mean quite as much. And I- I'm not knocking that because yeah. I'm the one who said they brought in Batista and Orton and they made them big stars. But shit, man, and, that and, ain't the NWO. That, but that's going to be part of my argument also. Who made bigger stars out of their faction? Okay, who made bigger stars? Who were the bigger stars, though, at the end of the day? The NWO name. This is faction. This isn't Randy Orton versus Ric Flair. You know what I mean? All right, neither one of us are stepping off of our point. I think we've got to give this to Joe. One final closing statement. At the end of the day, it's a faction, right? We're looking at legendary things we're playing, clips of. We're playing Scott Hall walking through the audience talking about we're coming. We're not playing fucking Randy Orton coming out here getting a lap dance or some strip. Okay, we might not be, but here's my closing argument. All right, God damn it. <laughs> to, this, to this day, one of the top clips you will ever see in WWE is actually Randy Orton up on Batista's shoulders, and he wins the world title from Benoit the next day on Raw. Yeah, not as big as Hulk Hogan dropping the leg and turning on That's WCW. another statement, sir. <laughs> These, Joe, are, these are two good factions, but in the end, you're not selling Evolution shirts currently to the degree that you're selling NWO shirts. And it's a tough tiebreaker, but if you're going to make a tiebreaker, that's where you got to call it. I'm going to go back and personally watch a lot more Evolution now because I didn't view them as the modern day horsemen. I didn't view them as, as dangerous before this, but... Evolution's got to get the boot, unfortunately. All right. That's why we do this as a democracy, folks. There's going to be a bigger debate on this. <laughs> and I don't even know if we're going to come off this, but... Horseman a- versus NWL. Okay. As always, though, Joe is our voice of reason. And because this is his segment, folks, I want to make sure you realize that he's going to be the tiebreaker every time. Or... We might have it solved. Like, I think we might agree on this one. We might. I'm going with the horseman now. 
They're number one. The God, longevity. Damn it, I can't. I, I wanted the freaking NWO to be my first eliminated. I can't make him my number one. Right, I know. Oh, <laughs> no. Christ. We got to agree. So, well, uh, I guess. All right, so tell me why you want to make him number one anyway. I'm going to end the debate here. We're picking the horseman. That's either way. I can't turn my back on him. You're wearing a shirt called the Store Horseman, goddammit. <laughs> I didn't even fucking notice that. I put the shirt on. This All right, guys. So let's each give our reason that. anyways for why the horsemen are going to be number one. Yeah, let's go out on a high note. This is going to be the end. We're all going to take a moment to say why the horseman is our top team. Dave? I'll start. At the end of the day, it's the longevity. It's not only the horseman with Barry Windham, but the original Iron Anderson, Ole Anderson, Tully Branch, and Ric Flair. There are several incarnations of the horsemen that are really good. There's longevity, and at the end of the day, on a personal note, in my childhood, I hated these motherfuckers in the beginning. They beat up Dusty Rhodes, they beat up Magnum TA, and I was like, how the hell is Ric Flair, this guy who doesn't look like he could maybe even be a job guy in the WWF at the time, the world champion. That's what I saw as a kid. Who's this small guy? I was brought up on WWF. Steroids. That's right. We ate that shit for breakfast, baby. I didn't know. Alright? But, you know, getting older, realizing the work that these guys put in. Um, yeah, Ric Flair, Iron Anderson. Come on. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm going to ramble. Fuck it. Okay, first of all, I'm pretty sure it was called Prayers and Vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, But Brother. you're going to be able to tell who the heel is here out of the two of us because I cheered for the horseman the whole fucking way. Mm. I did not buy into the steroid generation. I was actually a huge horseman fan. And to me, the reason why the horsemen are number one is quite simple. When we talked about the NWO, we talked about it being watered down and we talked about how that affects it and that's what we think of. And here's the difference. With the horsemen, no matter how many bad links they added, whether it was Mongo, whether it was Sid Vicious, whether it was everybody's favorite horseman, Paul Roma. I like Sid. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, to this day, if you talk to somebody and you talk horsemen to them, they're thinking of one of two incarnations. They're either thinking the original with Ole, Iron, Flair, and Tully with J.J., or they're thinking about the Barry, Tully, Iron, and Ric Flair with J.J. And that has stayed as such a memory 30 years later that you don't even really think about the watered-down versions of the Horsemen. And that is the difference between the two. One more thing I forgot I do want to add in this. I did say longevity. If you want to talk about the longevity of just the name, the Four Horsemen, the Four Horsemen were feuding with the NWO yeah. years later. There was a version of the Four Horsemen. Uh, not only that, but we have two Four Horsemen currently feuding. The Four Horsewomen of the WWE. <laughs> You've got the NXT version, which is the old MMA wrestlers with Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey, mm. Marina Shafir, and... Yeah, I feel like you're Duke. tainting the waters right now. But this, uh, <laughs> against the Four Horsewomen of the WWE, mm. which are, of course, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Becky Lynch. To this day, they're still using horsemen. I haven't heard anybody in the, WA, in the WWE right now go, hey, we're the new NWO. Now, I hate to be the last word on the subject, but we all pick the horsemen. We've watched them forever. Some of the same criticisms that can be applied to any of the factions that we booted, like NWO going too long in the tooth, Bullet Club we mentioned might have gone too long, doesn't mean that the horsemen didn't. But the argument I use between the horsemen and the NWO, they're both still selling shirts. I would say almost as hot as ever. 
AJ mentioned that the name Horseman has lived on in some degree. If you got the top four of anything, the top four ladies now becomes the four horsewomen. And it's just wild that they've lasted this long and they still have this much buzz. If you have a four horsemen meeting somewhere where all four or four of the biggest ones get together, it commands almost as much money as some form of NWO revival. And that's why I think that in the end, if you're looking at the greatest factions, there's no way not to get to the horsemen. And I'm very surprised we all agreed on this. Mm. One last thing about this, and this will be the last thing I say about the horsemen, just to give you an idea as to how much of a connection I had with it as a child or even in my um, mid-20s, when Iron Anderson retires from wrestling, I got teary-eyed. Mm. It actually made me cry to watch Iron Anderson have to actually give up wrestling. That's how much of an effect the Horsemen had on my childhood and how much of an effect that they had on my life. And when I did wrestle, when I was working, there's not a day that went by that I didn't wish that I was one of the Horsemen or actually try to steal that style a little bit. So to me, that's what makes the difference between the horseman and everybody else. God damn it, that was Iron Anderson's beard breaking arm. And he wasn't giving up a spot, he was giving up his spot. So if you want to find us in our spot, tell us what we got wrong, tell us what we got right. Find us on Twitter, at Fans Working. We're on Instagram. The Working Fans Wrestling Pod. People that up to Underscore it's, Pod. It's fucked up, yeah, it's like wrestling. Working fans wrestling pod. Working fans wrestling and then underscore pod. Alright, so if you want to find us at Instagram. It is the uh, working fans wrestling underscore pod. Excellent. And also, the music that played us in at the beginning, I forgot to credit it earlier. From CB at Rise to It Records.